Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. This is David and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. We have podcast number 50 recording today. Subjective reality versus objective reality. And we're going to talk somewhat about consensus reality and synthetic history in addition to expectations. So what you are, you're not the average listener. You're above average. You want to know information, which is going to give you an edge in conversation with other people. Come on. That's why you're here. And things that you're not going to hear in the mainstream media, I strip the rhetoric out and bring you the facts, bring you things anchored to research, information that you can use. And you know what? It's going to make you safer. It's going to make you feel safer, safer in your environment. It's going to help your family stay safe, safer. So please um, enjoy this podcast. And um, this is amazing stuff. When we get into subjective reality here in just a little bit of understanding, for instance, imagine like each of us being in an 80,000 seat stadium watching a football game. And every one of us is watching that game a bit differently because we have a different vantage point, you know, from where we're sitting. So it is a little bit different to us. We hear the game a little bit differently. We see the game a little bit differently, like, you know, even the way that the sun comes in and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and the experience of, of some of us, you know, might be, be crunched in a little bit by the people around us, might not have the same vantage view. Um, so it's pretty incredible stuff. Um, but anyway, it's just same subjective reality. It could be at a game and, and 80,000 people all have a different, um, experience at that game. And, but we take it together, it creates this consensus reality, which kind of becomes an objective reality. Sounds like a lot. Hey, we'll break it down. We'll get into it. A few things right off the bat here on the Safety Doc Podcast. A huge thank you to the 405 Media, John Grant and the 405 Media out of Los Angeles, California, for supporting this show. Uh, this show airs on the405media.com. I'm going to move the mic a little bit here. Um, which is dusty, by the way, uh, 405media.com out of Los Angeles, California, and that is daily at 2 p.m. PST, followed by Aaron Clary, Captain Capitalism, um, and the Clary Podcast at 3. So you can go back-to-back back two full hours of some pretty awesome podcast um, just by tuning into the 405media.com. And don't forget, on the weekends, readily random and Larry Roberts. You don't want to miss that either. You can check out Larry Roberts at readilyrandom.com. So um, also want to thank Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, Sprigio, Sprigio.com, out of Santa Barbara, California, the nation's leader in bullying reporting online software, also threat reporting software, but the nation's leader, uh, Sprigio.com. So starting out with an anecdote, and, and you know what? I had a few written down, and I'm like, I, I, I can't best the first one. So this is, this is my one and only anecdote. Um, Senator Rand Paul. So you're probably aware of this. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, but any, the story needs to be told. Uh, Senator Rand Paul out of Kentucky. He lives in a gated community. And he's out back doing some lawn care, and he gets tackled by his neighbor. Um, I don't know if you remember the Super Bowls, uh, or maybe Super Bowl 15 years ago or whatever it was. There were uh, commercials, a couple of them. Terry Tate, the office linebacker. And uh, you can go in and Google, and, and, and they're pretty funny, actually. I don't uh, Today, I don't, I don't think you could actually air stuff like that, and, you know, socially. Um, you know, that that would be considered socially appropriate. But uh, um, anyway, Terry Tate, office linebacker. 
But uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of your your Rand Paul. Okay, so you're you're a physician. You're out doing some yard work. And, you know, did and it's kind of fuzzy, like you know the details. Did he did, was you know were leaves sticks getting over by his neighbor's property and all this and and did he was he planting stuff that was cro- crossing the property line? But what would cause your neighbor to go full tilt and tackle you? Okay. Take you out, you know, like like a line linebacker going full at you, and, and, and you don't see it, like you're blindsided. And and at first we hear Senator Rand Paul has you know some bruised ribs and stuff like that, but then we find out like he's got broken ribs, and not like just broken on one side, but like completely broken on both sides. So pretty serious injuries. Um, and I'm just trying to piece this together of how insane this whole event is that that your your neighbor is is flies you know off the handle and i mean i and i don't know what was done to provoke the neighbor if anything was done but you know i'm pretty sure my neighbors i live at the crest of a hill and we do have leaves that tend to work their way into our neighbor's yard anytime the wind blows it's just the way that things happen because of where we we live um and I'm pretty sure there's there's nothing in reason I would do that would result in any of my neighbors um, trying to tackle me. And by the way, it'd be hard to tackle. I'm, I'm pretty strong, and uh, yeah, you'd have to get a pretty good hit to to take me out. But uh, it is it it's it's crazy. I, I'm I'm you know there's there's crazy comedic value in this. Um, to, to just imagine this playing out, a neighbor getting so mad um, at Rand Paul, you know, like those leaves, those sticks, you, you know, you plant it. Uh, yeah, those those pumpkins are over on my property line. So um, I, I, I just in the part of this, which adds more humor to it. And we've, we talked about the humor response and the humor response actually from last week's podcast did not include going over and tackling your neighbor. But, um, you know, this is actually humor right now because um, it wasn't a neighbor who pulls out a gun and shoots Rand Paul. I mean, which seems to be the typical narrative when people get in disagreements, especially with political figures. Um, And not that I, you know, want Rand Paul to be injured at all. No, that's, that's not the case. I mean, but this is, this is so crazy to think about this just to think about this your neighbor going off the handle you know lowering the shoulder and and tackling you because of lawn care drama i don't know so wow it's like well actually okay i had um a doctor as a neighbor in my current home he moved about four years ago, and he would blow his leaves off with his leaf blower, and he'd kind of, you know, through his backyard, but then he had a fence that he built between our two properties, and the fence was raised about four inches, and he would blow leaves under the fence onto my property, like all this, and he knew he was doing it. So, um, yeah, that that was that was pretty crazy, but no, I didn't, I didn't go and uh, scale the fence and, and go full tilt tackle on the guy at all um but th- this this is this is absolutely crazy this is crazy stuff so um let's let's talk about um subjective reality so i'm i'm going to give you an example of subjective reality and this is based upon southern wisconsin where i live okay so we are imagining right now that it is it's summer it's it's let's say it's june and uh, we've had two weeks, and it's not, of course, it's it's November. My birthday was a few days ago, um, and it's very cold out. It's like, yeah, it's it's in the 20s. But let, let's imagine right now. I'm going to bring us back to real imagine land. Let's imagine it's June, and it's it's like 85 degrees, and it's sunny. And every day for two weeks, that's how it is, 85 degrees and sunny. So what am I doing? What's the safety doc doing? The safety doc is out on his bike. I am out on my bike, and I'm doing 70-mile bike treks, and I'm loving it because 85 degrees and sunny and, and 
my arms and legs and neck, everything is turning um, power, um, turning the sun into powerful vitamin D, D3 or whatever, you know, that, that only you can get from the sun. So I'm feeling great. I am feeling great. I'm loving it. It's awesome. Lawn's drying up a little bit. That's all right. I don't water, but then I don't have to mow, you know, so, so I'm thinking this is awesome. Thank you so much for sunny days. Um, just for, for these warm temperatures it is, it is so terrific. Okay. So that's my subjective reality is I'm perceiving those days to be awesome, wonderful days that meet my expectation for what I'm hoping my summer days are going to be like. Um, you know, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, and uh, it not always like that. You know, some very, very cold, rainy days and things. So, um, all right. So, so let's let's change this a little bit. Let's say that um, instead of of me wanting to bike and all that, I'm a farmer. I'm living down here, and I'm like, you know what? This this two weeks, um, this isn't the greatest because I need rain. I need rain for my crops. And without the rain, you know, the crops aren't going to grow. I'm not going to have a great harvest. I might not be able to get in an additional planting this year. So uh, this isn't great news for me. So my subjective reality of this weather, you know, my expectation is some sun and warmth and some rain. And so my expectation is not being met with this. It is it is um, definitely causing me some stress. Um, if I am... You know, if if I'm a person that, that doesn't like the heat, and so I'm inside and got my air conditioning going, and I don't want to be outside because 85 degrees is too hot, then uh, yeah, this isn't this isn't for me either. My subjective reality is I'm kind of being held prisoner a little bit by the weather here. You know, like I I like Wisconsin because of the seasons and the fall and the spring, and this is this is too hot. You know. Um, so yeah, so that's another, uh, subjective reality. So, um, you know, if we are, we have to look at, uh, you remember that seat in the stadium, we have to look at where we're sitting to create our subjective reality because what is, what's, what's static here is the weather. The weather's the same. So, you know, like me, I'm expecting it to be sunny and warm. This is meeting my expectations. I can get out and bike. Everything's awesome. My subjective um, reality is that these are awesome days. Awesome. If I'm that farmer and I have this expectation of rain and sun, my subjective reality is, um, you know, I'm so, so on, on, on perceiving these days. Um, and I'm not so much, you know, even in tune of what maybe other people are, are thinking, you know, like people like Dave who want to get out biking. This is great for Dave. I'm kind of thinking of my own again, you know, or, or possibly older elderly people who, who aren't happy because, you know, they, they've got a, um, they're running their air conditioning. They feel, you know, they, they need to be inside, you know, more and, and things like that. So, um, or, you know, and, and it all depends. I mean, some people can be like, if it's that way, it's dusty and I have dust allergies and whatever. So again, subjective reality really affects where, where you're situated. So, um, so let's talk about expectations because this, this plays right into that. Um, but the, uh, the first thing we're going to do is guess what? Yes. This is the first podcast after my birthday. Thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel really good. Stacked a lot of firewood um, this past weekend. And uh, I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40 now. So I, I don't know if that, if again, what my subjective reality of that is. Doesn't seem like it makes a big of a difference. But uh, I, I, my subjective reality, though, totally means to me that this is podcast 50. It's a milestone podcast. And you are an awesome listening audience. Thank you so much for being a part of this awesome podcast. Well, here, let's let's get ready to talk about expectations. expectations. You were expecting that break, commercial, I don't know what it was, infomercial, um, to end sooner than it did. So a mental representation of an impending event relies heavily on information from past experience and therefore must incorporate information from brain regions associated with memory recall. The hippocampus, or as your friends call it, the hippocotamus, is involved in neural processes supporting the retrieval of past memories and is reciprocally connected with the amygdala in a fashion that may support effective, with an A, effective modulation of memory recall. Or in other words, what the hell did you just say? What was that? Man, come on. Don't get all crazy on us here, Dave. Okay. Basically, it's saying um, how you, the feeling associated with the memory. So I have a memory of of summer. I'm, I'm remembering June. And as I'm remembering this, I'm thinking, that was good. Like, it was a good June. Like, I, I, I have a smile on my face. Like, that's how I remember June. So, like, but we're maybe like that farmer remembering June, rem- the, the feeling, the, the feeling that that farmer has, you know, he's thinking back, like right now, thinking back to June, and he can remember that it was really dry, but the feeling he's having, so that's the objective, you know, remember really dry, but the feeling might have been nervousness, like, ooh, not going to get a lot on that, on the crops, and might not get a lot of crops planted. So basically saying that as we remember things, we tend to tie on the feeling with it. So... Any, anything that we might do. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, if you've gone to, like, a sporting event, in, and, like, I remember a Packers game um, that um, it was, you know, just, just how, how exciting it was. Um, years ago, the Packers had played, uh, like, years ago, like 20 years ago, um, they played a home game at Lambeau Field, and on the last play of the game, the Pittsburgh Steelers' um, Yancey Thigpen dropped a touchdown would have been touchdown pass in the end zone and and you couldn't see it for a split second it didn't show up on replay and it was kind of shielded from the audience and all of a sudden it's like oh my goodness he dropped it so when i think back of that game i know it was cold like it was it was i think even like maybe a christmas eve game it was very cold um of course remember all of that but my feeling from that game was just super excitement because the moment he dropped that, the Packers had made the the playoffs because they they had won the the game. It was like a fourth down pass, so I I, I still remember this feeling of that game and then the the ride home of just how excited we were and all of that type of stuff. So, um, expectations of decreased pain profoundly reduce both the subjective experience of pain and pain related brain activation. So it's one of those things of two why when you get a, a shot like the flu shot or they draw blood or something and they're like you're gonna just feel a small prick or a mosquito bite or something like that and, and then it'll be be over, um, and they tell you that because part of, to me it's it's true like it doesn't really matter to me I, you know I don't stuff doesn't hurt, um, but they're they're also setting that expectation because you know if you've been bit by a mosquito you you can associate you know what that's like. Um, so it's one of these expectations of, of decreased, you know, decreased pain. Um, and that is, it's very important, um, people's expectations on then what really happens. So it's, it's one of these where I remember playing, um, summer league basketball and we had a guy on our team, um, who, I mean, pretty much expected. We, we had a, to kind of, you know, always, always, psych him up a little bit because he expected just not to play well. He was a good athlete and he, he was tall and had a lot of um, advantages over the opposition, 
but he, he easily got down on himself. Like he didn't have a lot of confidence. So he expected to come into games and miss a lot of shots. And usually he did until he kind of got going and, and things like that. Um, so it was, it, expectations play a lot um, into how our, our reality plays out. If we expect things to be to go pretty well um, or, or that we're going to have a pretty good experience, typically that's the way it'll play out. That's the way we'll remember. And if we expect things to be, you know, like horrible um, and, and stuff like that, um, you know, it's like when I when we drove to Disney in March, like I I really expected that drive to to be. I, I don't know if I expect it to be fun, but I expected it to be kind of entertaining. Like we're going through some places we had never gone through, and I look forward to the drive. That's why I wanted to drive and not to fly. Um, so. So we did go through rush hour in Nashville and, and, you know, you know, busy, busy places, Birmingham and stuff like that, which I'm sure like at the moment we were going through, you know, was, was pretty chaotic and hectic and, you know, I was unfamiliar, but because I was like looking forward to seeing those places, um, I was, I was more confident with the drive and I, I wasn't frustrated with the drive or anything like that. Where if I would have been like, oh, no, Nashville during rush hour, I'm sure like I would have perceived, you know, every brake light as just being, oh, frustrating. So, um, and, you know, part of this is with expectations. Um, expect You can drive expectations even by the way you dress, okay? You, you can steer that. So... Um, I, I've noticed, I, I've noticed this myself, like when I dress very formal, whether it be in the work setting or if it's meetings or, or things like that, that people respond to that, um, in a, in a way where they're expecting that you have more credibility, um, I guess. And, and, you know, when we talk about also expectations, we go back to the Stanley Milgram experiment. And I don't know if I talk about this in, in this one or not, but, um, that was that was done in the '60s, and that was to basically have people come in and, and participate in "quote unquote" the learning um, experiment, where you would turn a knob to uh, there. There would be somebody dressed officially, like in a white lab coat, at Harvard University, and they would. So you'd be in the room, and and they would say, um, "We we are going to check the effect of of negative um, reinforcement." on learning so there would be someone in another room and if they got an uh, incorrect response to something then you were supposed to give them a shock and this person in this this white lab coat dressed formally um, would would say okay here's a dial turn it up turn it up a little bit more and then like it actually had on a dial like you know could be level like fatal or something like that and and uh, the majority of people turned it up they expected two to three people which would would translate to kind of like the the you know people who are psychopaths in society would, would do stuff like that but actually it was the majority of people the majority of people turned it up all the way when directed because they would they were looking at this person saying well this person's official okay this is the, and and they're also in an official context like this is Harvard University they're not going to kill somebody here through this experiment so um, and not that there, people were still nervous, you know, doing this, but they did it, even though people be screaming in the next room, oh, whatever, you know, this is, this is, I, I can't take the pain. And of course they were, they were all actors. Um, but yeah, it, it was absolutely amazing. Um, so you, the way that you can, the way expectations have a huge, huge impact on our reality on our reality, a huge impact on our reality. So I'm going to take a little diversion here, and we're going to talk about film and media influence and what we perceive as reality, because I, I, I think this is this is super, super Im important, um, because we do have so many, so much available in media just, you know, through through Netflix and, and at people's disposal, you know, right now. Um, and media can conflate our memories on things. Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about like the Oliver Stone movie in 1991 JFK about the JFK assassination and how that, um, was feared by a number of, of news outlets that that was going to convince people that there was this conspiracy theory and it was going to give people 
basically reset their memory of that event or what they have been told of that event, and it would be calibrated to this movie and not to what the event actually was. So Kenneth Boulding in 1956, and I will cite this in my blog post, Kenneth Boulding, B-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. Okay, he did not write about how film influenced people's images, but he did write about how messages change or fail to change the images people have of their world. Okay, images, Let, let's define those. Images are people's store of subjective knowledge about an event, person, or an experience. It is our overall image that determines our behavior. Bolding pointed out that any message has meaning to the extent that it can change our image. Messages often have a limited impact, particularly entertainment messages, and are interpreted as irrelevant to our mess to our image. Meaning, like most movies are just taken as movies. Okay, so if you've seen like you know Batman or Wreck It Ralph or something about Mary, I mean it's a movie, and you move on. But um, as he gets as we get later into some movies, such as um, you know like like this 1991 Oliver Stone movie about you know, the JFK assassination that goes beyond into portraying what looks like an authentic investigation and, and, uh, you know, uh, saving private, private Ryan also is, is one that kind of reframes, um, world war two heroism independence day to some extent, um, gave, gave more support. The movie independence day, I think that came out in 1996. Um, openly, you know, gave credence to the Area 51 alien conspiracy. And actually, Independence Day, they didn't get support from the military because the military was like, the movie industry is like, didn't get support because military is like, yeah, we're not supporting anything that references Area 51. So, you know, like Independence Day furthers thoughts of, we, th you know, the news of like the Roswell crash. Well, this this goes a step further because actually it brings up the Roswell, Roswell crash. So it's it's kind of reinforcing a new generation of saying, aha, even though, you know, it's a movie and it's entertainment, it's still something that's validating, um, you know, that, that event. And um, like 1956, okay, this was the same year bowling, you know, was, was cited with this, but the movie The Searchers with John Wayne, one of my favorite movies actually of, of John Wayne's, but, you know, definitely um, had a portrayal very strongly of Comanche Indians and Indians in general of being very savage and, and it was showing it from a very, you know, angled perspective. So anybody watching that, their image of, of what it was like to, um, you know, be in the West, um, and, and try to do settlements and then, you know, have raids by Comanche Indians, you know, per the movie, you'd think, Oh my goodness, the Comanche Indians, this was horrible. But, you know, the the greater literature, of course, that you would read would indicate, of course, you know, the other side of this, of the manifest destiny of moving um, Native Americans further and further westward and taking over land that they had claimed for hundreds of years. So um, it's those types of things that the images become, you know, the, the new memories for people are, or they conflate if they have the previous knowledge, it's like it, the, the two kind of get blended together. So, um, anyway, uh, many messages can have a regularized impact, changing the image in a predictable manner. These types of messages serve to confirm existing beliefs and add detail to images we already hold. A message can also have a profound impact, changing the image in a revolutionary way. We can discover new facts, encounter new theories about why an event happened, and have our convictions about a past truth weakened. It is the possibility of revolutionary change in the image, radical change in what people thought about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in 1963 that worried many in the press due to Oliver Stone's 1991 movie. So let's break this down. So basically, basically, in the 1991 movie, um, it is reinforcing the conspiracy theory that there were multiple shooters and also that Oswald wasn't, wasn't capable of, of 
pulling this off from the book depository so that this it reinforces that this was there's a conspiracy theory it was much deeper um than you know just oswald killing kennedy so that's where the the uh, truth which we'll take that as that is the the truth that's been given um this totally backs this whole conspiracy theory so people kind of calibrate to the movie and the way that the movie was shot um of saying yeah i'm thinking maybe this was a conspiracy theory and now um you know there was already information out there but you know the movie seems to kind of reinforce that um so it's it's really interesting things how how movies especially well detailed documentaries um can portray the image of 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 how something was i mean i think of like a schindler's list for example um and and maybe that was a really accurate account um that that wasn't told but maybe it wasn't i don't i don't i don't know but that's as i'm thinking of world war ii i'm kind of calibrating now to schindler's list um uh, the to the movie that's that's what i'm that's what i'm calibrating to yet i know that's that's not all accurate um so it it's pretty it's pretty amazing the fact in, in again kenneth bowling was was bringing this up of of i think it was in 1956 it was maybe a little more of a of a i don't know if it's a warning or a little bit of an alert of saying hey you know what like as people start to watch movies more, because it's 56 people probably, you know, movies are still fairly novel, you know, so you're going to see the movie. Not everybody has a, has a TV necessarily in their, in their house. Um, and, and so you're, you're going to see these, these movies. And once they start talking about things that were in the past, especially once you had a lot of the war movies coming out in the fifties and the sixties about world war two, like uh, in harm's way with John Wayne, to name one, um, you know, it, it does give a very distinct portrayal of World War II from, you know, this this Mer American hero perspective. And I'm just saying it's, it's interesting because, you know, I've watched these movies and they're engrossing and the actors are engrossing and you, you start, at least I, I mean, you, you start to blend in history um, with that movie and they become conflated. So, I mean, that movie starts to, to change how you think about that. But it's interesting with that Oliver Stone movie about how people really were, um, concerned that people were going to believe the movie and every, everyone coming out of the movie theater is going to be like, yeah, this was definitely a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. So, all right. Objective reality. What's objective reality? So we just talked subjective. So subjective is what we perceive. Each of us perceives it differently. And we perceive the environment differently before us because of the different rods and cones in our eyes, the way the our ears process things, our past experiences, you know, how tall tall we are, you know, the vantage point that you're seeing things. Um, so there are so many ways that we process things subjectively so even if two of us are standing next to each other and something happens and we give our accounts of it we will give our accounts of that event that and we will have some areas which will not be the same um, because of we're both standing in different positions um, when we might have you know the sound we might have heard how we describe it might relate to other sounds that we've already heard um, yeah it, so those things actually do do happen the subjective reality so um and we're asked like how well how can we live in a world you know like when how can we go to a store and even buy anything like a shirt if it's subjective reality and everybody thinks the shirt is different well i'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit so what is objective reality that is our question what is objective reality thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. 
Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Objective reality is a reality that completely exists independent of any conscious entity to observe it. So basically, all of us, let's say a thousand of us, are standing on the earth and we each have an apple in our hand and we drop the apple, we let go of the apple, what happens? It, it drops to our feet. Okay. That happens. That is objective reality. It's gravity. Um, which is a, a scientific truth. Now we know we can measure gravity by certain means and, and there are so many objective realities out there that, that we don't even have the means to measure because outside of our ability to detect light waves and, and possibly multiple universes and things like that, it's just a fraction. But we do know that none of us are going to drop this apple and the apple is going to float upward into space. We just know that's not going to happen. It is going to float toward, or it's going to go toward the ground, toward the center of gravity, the center of the earth. So that is an objective reality. It's independent. It follows the, that rule of um, gravity. So um, as it is well known, okay, subjective reality is subject to an elaborate set of, of filters. So we're going back on, on subjective. Anyone can modify a perception of reality. So, um, Let's, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, okay. Fundamentally, one cannot prove the existence of an objective reality. We can only infer its properties through observations, which of course are subjective. So again, um, let's take me. I'm, I'm outside and I, there's, there's somebody else standing next to me and a car drives by and stops. I look at that car and I'm like, hey, that's a really nice red car. This other person looks at me and they're like, uh, what? That is a green car. Dave, that's a green car. And I'm like, no, 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 it's a red car. It's a red, right there. It's, I see it in front of, right, the car right in front of us. That car is the only car there. It's red. They're like, no, no, Dave, it's green. It's green. So we can't conclude that there's an objective reality because this other person, um, they see it as green. They might have a different, rods and cones, different filter set in their mind and their neural network that is 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 having this car come off as being green. Okay. So let's say even these, you know, the wavelengths are are hitting their eyes the same way as they're hitting mine, so nothing there is is changed. Like even the position they're standing isn't causing us, but something um something very unique to that person. But to that person, that subjective reality is accurate to them. Like what they see, if we were to go inside of their brain and and be plugged into that same system, that car would seem green to us too, because there's some special filter at work or whatever. So that that's very very important. Um, I talked about this in a podcast with Hector uh, Hector Solis um, on the Awareness Podcast, and by the way, you can go to. Um, awarenesspodcast.com and listen to his excellent shows. Tremendous journalism, um, has, has done shows, um, investigative journalism re- recently, areas of sex trafficking, bullying, um, active shooter. Hector, uh, phenomenal. Also worked with, uh, typical daddy, uh, podcasts, but just check out awarenesspodcast.com. Um, but let's, let's, let's think about this. So we, I, I experienced where I worked in a school, worked in a school district, and at a middle school, a boy reported 100 times that he had been the recipient of bullying throughout the year, bullying, that he had been bullied 100 times, made reports. Um, and it, was, it varied. I was pushed. I was called names. You know, other things happened. And and would make these reports. The A principal would investigate these claims and, and found and couldn't substantiate any of the claims. 
Okay. So this boy's subjective reality was that he was being bullied. So it got to the point where, because these were so frequent, these claims, and, and the parents didn't know what to do. They're like, we want to believe our son. Um, at the same time, the school's saying they're not, they're not finding, they can't substantiate this. I mean, they're, they're doing their due diligence and it's, they can't substantiate it. So the school decided to shadow this boy for two weeks with a staff member who was familiar with the boy, but, um, the boy was not aware that he was being observed by the staff member. So staff member kept a distance and then, um, journaled and documented what they saw throughout the day. And very specifically, the student then reported some bullying instance. Like I was in this hallway during this hour and I was pushing into my locker by this student. And then the principal, um, went and asked the, the observer and said that this, did you see this? And the observer said, no, no, I didn't. And actually they, they went to, um, video and, and they also did not see this happen. What they did see, the student was brushed against in the hallway. It was a busy passing time and, um, you know, but someone brushed against him and maybe a, a couple people, but it's not like they looked back and had done it on purpose and, and probably even realized that they brushed up against him because, in the hallway, you know, that it wasn't uncommon. It was just a busy hallway. It was a big school. Um, and so anyway, for, for this child in, in, in that case, um, this is his subjective reality that this actually, that this actually happened. So, um, ultimately the school team had, had met and met with the parents and, and had looked at some other, reports and started to come up with what they believed was really happening. And it was that this boy's subjective reality wasn't matching the objective reality, meaning um, other people, the same thing was happening to them in the hallway, hundreds of students, you know, that get brushed up against them in a hallway during a passing time, but they were not perceiving it as bullying. They were just like, this just happened. You know, it's, they don't even recognize it. Um, but for him, he was perceiving this as he was being targeted, that he was being bullied. And, um, it was, so it was perceptual. It was a, um, perceptual mismatch with the student. So it wasn't that the student was lying. It wasn't, um, that the student was trying to cause trouble or get anyone in trouble. The student authentically believed that he was being victimized, that he, that he was being victimized. Um, and this also create, so, so the counselor, once, once this became apparent, started to work then with one of the school counselors on role playing and really identifying what was, what was happening, you know, like watching some, um, other students in hallways and saying, was, was that student just, you know, what, what happened there? Was, was that bullying or did they just kind of, you know, get caught up in, in the fray of, of some students going through a hallway and, and this student started to, to understand this and, and also used an app to give feedback on if something happened, like what he felt. And it was very scientifically treated going forward. Um, and, and pretty soon it, it went away. Um, and here's what I also want to share is this student had a synthetic history, um, in his mind. And also the staff had a synthetic history too. So, so based upon the student's subjective reality that he was, was this constant victim of bullying, um, he was believing the school wasn't doing anything about it. His parents couldn't get the school to do anything about it. The students were against him. He had no safe areas to go to. He was starting to disconnect from school. So his history was telling him, I'm, and it was amazing. He kept reporting these things because, um, you know, they would be investigated and, and nothing would change because it couldn't be substantiated. Um, and, and it didn't come out until later of, of really trying to, to figure out and, and did figure out what was happening, um, with the student, with this, the subjective reality, um, not really matching the objective reality of what was happening. But, um, so you have this synthetic history and you also have a principle with a synthetic history of like, Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. This is number 94 of a bully, um, you know, 
um, form that you've completed. And I'm pretty sure because the other 93 weren't substantiated, this one is going to be the same. Now, granted, the principal did do complete due diligence um, in interviewing and in observing and all of that, but I'm sure it was a frustrating experience for the principal because, I mean, it was just way over the top and nothing was coming out. And it's like, I don't understand why this is happening. Oh, is this a why is this kid seeking attention or just trying to, and, and of course other kids are like not even wanting to be around this kid at some point because it's like, well, if I'm around him, um, he might target that I bullied him. And then that student gets brought into the investigation and things like that. So that's where that subjective reality really, really played out and created that whole synthetic history and, and uh, you know, things changed, but let's, let's talk about, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit, but let's talk about objective reality. So remember, we've got the car sitting out there, that nice car. And I'm saying that's a nice red car. And the person next to me is like, that's a green car. Dave, that's a green car. Okay, so we bring in 998 other people. And uh, guess what? They agree with me. They agree with the safety doc on this one. It's rare. It's rare. They agree with the safety doc, but they're like, yeah, it's a red car. GM comes out and they're like, you know, they look at it, pull the number on it and the paint thing. They're like, yeah, this is, this is a red, this, this is a red car. So we now have a consensus reality, meaning people are saying that this is a red car. The fact though is to this one person, the way that they perceive this car, this car is green and it doesn't mean that it's not green to them the way that they see it. So again, that is, that's something I think is very important to know this whole, this whole consensus um, reality thing. So um, it, it, it's, it's really, it's really amazing because again, what would, what would we think? We would think the person that sees the car is green, think they're crazy. Not a green car. Come on. What's wrong with you? It's red. No. No, in this case, it is organically, biologically, they're processing this as this. And we can take that into a lot of things. You know, if someone is outside and, you know, I've seen this in summer, of course, you know, and, and let's go back to that 85 degree day. It's awesome outside. I'm biking. It's, it's like, oh my guys can't get any better. And I'm driving by and someone is like outside in their yard doing yard work and they have like a jacket and a sweater on. And I'm like, uh, it's 85 degrees out and there's no wind and it is absolutely beautiful and it's hot. Like, what's the deal? What's the dealio? And I'm biking and no one else is, is dressed in winter clothes and, and stuff. So you go back to that one person. And it's like, that person's fine. You know, like they're always cold. They're cold no matter what. And they're not sweating. And to them having, um, you know, a jacket and a sweatshirt on, it's not to keep the sun off their arms. It's just because they're, they feel cold. That is how they feel. Their subjective reality is it's cold. It's not freezing, of course, but it's cold. And this makes me comfortable to have this on. So again, um, we take that consensus objective reality and, you know, we have objective reality. We can measure things, you know, like we can know, we can know that a cloud is a cloud by sending radar and it goes through it. And we have tools to measure things, but our tools continually get refined and our tools have a finite ability to measure things too. And really, I mean, do we know that we're measuring things, um, it, everything that's out there because maybe they're I mean, not maybe we know there are things that exist that that we don't we're not aware of i mean um that we're not you know omniscient and and we just don't have the tools yet you know of course science as as we get more aware i mean there's certain things that, that probably won't change you know like you have we understand the law of gravity but how gravity impacts like so many other things will, will probably become apparent to us as our scientific tools get better um and and that's going to help us also that that contributes to consensus but um i the point i guess i want to really really drive home is um this whole thing of you can have a subjective reality which doesn't match 
other people's consensus reality. Um, and it doesn't mean you're wrong, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you can go in and, and register your car if that red car is being green or that you could sell that car if that you own that car is saying green car for sale. Everyone looking at it, it's like, uh, no, this isn't green. Um, so, uh, something interesting too. Let's talk about subjective reality. Um, it doesn't mean you can, you can, okay. Subjective reality does not mean that you can call the shots and become a millionaire just due to intent. You know, that, that would be, that'd be insane. You know, if, if that were the case of saying, well, I can just create my own reality. Like I, my expectation is this and subjectively I am going to, you know, whatever, imagine, see things, and, and I am going to create my own reality. No, you have to operate within this consensus. The consensus requirement, the effects are much more subtle than that. Um, for you to see a passing car and make it turn green because you want it to would violate the color consensus that must be maintained for the other 999 people, including the safety doc that see the car drive by and say, that's a red car. In fact, there's nothing to say that the aggregate of conscious intents from all conscious entities fully shape the subjective reality. Let's, let's break that, slow that down. In fact, there is nothing to say that the aggregate, meaning the total, the combined total of conscious intents from all conscious entities or all people looking at that. Now, you know, conscious entities, we know that dogs, cats, pigeons see color differently, but let's say people, intents from all people fully shape the subjective reality. So um, we don't really know what the what the subjective reality is we're, we're pretty close i mean of course you know like like all of us you know you you grab ice cream oh it's cold tastes good i mean most people are, are going to agree on that and things like that but but we have to be very aware especially when working in areas of safety and this can get to be really really dangerous a subjective reality in safety when um, people believe that the information that they are receiving, um, you know, what they're processing is, is is leading them in one direction when really the real world of what's happening around them is much different. Um, this and that can based you know be based too on an overestimation of their skill set and things like that. So mo most of it may be driven by the rules of the system, that aspect of digital global consciousness that drives the projection of the physical reality. So what, what does that basically mean? Most of it can be driven by the rules of the system, that aspect of digital global consciousness that drives the projection of physical reality. So it, it just means that most of us, most of us see things in a certain way. Most of us, you know, can navigate around a city. We understand what the roads are, the vehicles, and there's going to be minute differences. But generally, we see things in this, the, uh, a similar way that this is, you see that? That's that's a rock. That's a building. Yeah, okay, I got it. That's a building. Building's a building. And now the minute differences of, like, where the win windows are, I mean, yeah. I mean, but a lot of us aren't going to break that down. I mean, it's just like, okay, physical reality. We understand building's a building. Okay. So, um just kind of taking kind of taking what we learned today so what i want to leave you leave you with on this okay what i want to leave leave you with is understanding subjective reality all of us have it each one of you listening right now has your own subjective reality and there might be things you're not even really aware of okay um that are going on around you that people are perceiving much differently. So that's where sometimes it, it, it really helps to watch the crowd, watch the people around you, how they're responding to things, because maybe you're either not picking up some certain cues that other people are familiar with, um, or, you know, maybe you're, you're processing things at a different level 
um, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, too, like people who have been through storms, people who have been through like a tornado, you know, if the weather gets a certain way outside, it starts to bring back that memories. Remember that affect we talked about, A-F-F-E-C-T? And if, if they've been through like a tornado, it not only brings back the memory of, ooh, like the sky and the temperatures, like there are things here that are pretty similar to when that tornado hit that I experienced. And then they feel that affect of the tear and, and you know, that, that loss of control over their environment and just being very afraid. And, and you can see that start to manifest in that people, in that person or those, those people. Um, yet that might not be your subjective realities, but like, I never been through anything like that. Like, you know, is it, it's kind of windy out here. Yeah. But I, you know, I've been through storms or whatever. You haven't been through that. So they have a completely different reaction than you. And you can say, you're overreacting. This is, you're, you're way over the top on this. And, but for them, no. Because their subjective reality is bringing back that affect, that feeling of what they actually went through. Um, and, and it is, I mean, it, it's horrible. I mean, it's like after World War II, um, you know, the, the subjective reality of it took a long time, a, a lot of cities. I mean, in, in the United States and up until just, you know, probably the last 10, 15 years when, when it just got outdated because of pagers and stuff like that. But, um, they would do like, um, noon sirens in the city to check their, their sirens to make sure that they're working. Like there's, there's storm sirens. It used to be air raid sirens. My mom grew up when they had air raid sirens during World War II. Um, so you remember the air raid sirens and you remember them scrambling if you're at home to pull your shades and turn off all the lights and, you know, just basically do nothing. I mean, just be completely still. Um, so when you would hear an air raid siren, um, what it brings back is that subjective reality of, of re- remembering, of pulling those, those shades, making sure that those lights are out because people are going to be walking up and down the road in, 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 in the civilian patrol and checking those things. But it also brings back that affect or that feeling of fear of, oh my goodness, like we're in Wisconsin and we've been told that, you know, planes could be flying over Canada and could be bombing Wisconsin. And I mean, all of that was on the table back in World War II. So, but I mean, if you're telling that to like me today or whatever, I'd be like, nah, like that's, that's crazy. Like, you know, the, why is the siren stuff throwing you off? Like, and even if it's a storm, you know, we've got all of the advanced Doppler radar stuff. Now we can pull out the phone and we just would head in the basement and stuff like that. And, and if and there's not going to be an air raid because they track that stuff. Um, and we're not going to be attacked. And I mean, it's just a probability that's, that's faded away. I mean, it wasn't, it's not an everyday occurrence anymore. So the dismissal of subjective reality, like I talked about the boy who was perceiving the bullying. If that had just been a flat out dismissal of saying, this kid's just doing this for attention. This kid's being a pain. This kid has some kind of emotional disability, whatever's, there's some family issue going on, whatever it is. And if the principal fatigues on this or the school system of saying, you know what, kid, after a hundred, we're not investigating anymore. Um, that all of that could have been argued, not, I mean, not seeing as right, but you, you could have looked at the data and said, yeah, I can see where you're coming from on this. Um, and this kid also, you can see where this kid would say, like, I'm giving up on the school system because they're not doing anything about this. But then you dig down into this and say, this, this kid's subjective reality is right on. It's not accurate to the consensus reality of what's going on that it, the other 900 plus kids are, are experiencing. But his subjective reality is right on. Something